Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. It is finally okay. The time has come. You are allowed to celebrate Christmas. Uh, Despite what Walmart might think, there is a whole holiday between Halloween and Christmas. You might have celebrated it this last week. It's called Black Friday. And the day before that is Thanksgiving. Uh, I have to admit, I was not the best this year at honoring my own desire to hold off on Christmas until after Thanksgiving. I let some Christmas music slide in, but no more. You're allowed to decorate with Christmas decorations, listen to Christmas music, and watch Christmas movies. The time has come. But I'm really grateful for a holiday that forces me to slow down and remember to be thankful. We have so much to praise the name of our Lord for this morning. Um, The holidays are great reminders of that. Uh, Together we gather, and holidays can also be difficult. You know, holidays are great because everybody comes together, and holidays are difficult because everybody comes together. And... Maybe you experienced that this last week with Thanksgiving where you just know not to bring up politics with Uncle Bob and you know not to talk about religion with Aunt Judy. You're just fully aware of what conversations you're allowed to have and not have. Because it's so hard to be able to come together and then not be shoved apart. It's hard to have meaningful connection and meaningful relationships with people that have such different opinions. Maybe for you, you didn't experience that with your family. Maybe for you, when I talk about trying to have meaningful connection with people that have such different opinions, what comes to your mind are your neighbors, coworkers, your boss, friends. Maybe it's not religion or politics. Maybe it's gender issues, sexuality, race and ethnicity. There there is a lot going on today. And we are so quick to yell at one another over Facebook instead of choosing to have meaningful conversation and connection with one another. So today we're going to talk about What happens when we come to the table with Jesus? And there's going to be three things, and we'll unpack one at a time. Each one could be their own sermon. But I think that as we unpack what these three things that Jesus does for us, that if we would do those for the people around us, we would be able to have meaningful connection and we would all be the better for it so this morning we're going to start by looking at luke chapter six nope 
wrong side of my paper. Luke chapter 7. In this passage, we're going to see that we are welcomed at the table. We don't earn a seat at the table. We are welcomed at the table. The ushers do have a text for you. It's not going to be on the screen, so you need to turn pages or turn on your phones. Uh, if you'd like a copy of God's Word, raise your hand. The ushers will hand that to you. We don't earn a seat at the table. We are welcomed. We're invited. The place has been prepared for us by Jesus. Luke 7, starting in verse 31, says, To what shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace, calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Again, talking about divisive issues I like this passage because, some, number one, it just shows some people are just hard to please. That no matter what you do, someone's going to be upset about it. But more than that, it says that Jesus was talking about the fact that they were upset with John the Baptist because he was in the wilderness eating locusts and honey. Um, just kind of what we would call a weirdo. Uh, he was a prophet, and prophets are just weird. And so he, he fasted, and he did all these things, and so they said, he's a demon. He's got a demon in him because he doesn't eat and he doesn't drink. And Jesus comes, and he's eating, and he's drinking, and he's fellowshipping, but all with the people they don't like. And so they say, he's a glutton. He's a drunkard. He's worse than that. He's a friend with sinners and tax collectors. You see, Jesus' table was open to all who were willing to come. Today, Jesus' table is open if you're willing to come. You are welcomed at the table. Now, the reason we're welcomed is because Christ has made a place for you. Christ has made a place for you. By his life, death, and resurrection, he lived a life we couldn't live. He paid a debt that we couldn't pay. And he's raised us to new life with him. And because of that, we are now welcome to the table. I love the story of Jonathan's son who had fallen and was crippled. And David was wondering, who is left in the house of Saul that I could bless? And they identify this one who has no rights to the table of the king. And he is carried to the table. If you're familiar with Leland, you might know that song. Carried to the table, seated where I don't belong. Carried to the table, swept away by his love. 
We come to this table today not because of anything we have done. Or maybe more so because of everything we have not done. (laughs) Because of everything we couldn't do. We come here and we remember that we are welcomed to this table because of the work of Christ. Not because of any works that we could do. See, this is who Jesus is. We're going into Christmas season where we'll remember that the angel said to name him Jesus, which means God saves. This is what his name means. He has come to save us. We're going to sing a song this morning. You might know it. I believe it's the first time we're doing it here with LifePoint. But it's a song that talks about how beautiful this name is. That not only is it beautiful, but it is wonderful that a God would love us so much to send His Son for us. But just a loving God wouldn't be enough. He's a powerful God as well. And it's a powerful name that's able to break the hold that sin has on us. He has no rival, (laughs) no equal. So join us standing this morning as we declare what a beautiful name the name of Jesus is, that he has made a place for us at the table, that we are welcomed where we do not belong. Not only have we been welcomed to the table, not only are we welcomed at the table, we are washed at the table. The Lord not only invites us to come to the table, but then He partners with us in a process of making us look more and more like Jesus. He washes us. We see this in John chapter 13. That here in the upper room, Jesus has all power and authority given unto him. And he doesn't run for president. He doesn't wield a sword. He takes off his outer garment and he picks up a towel. And with all power, he comes and he kneels before his disciples to wash their feet. Join me reading in John 13. We're going to start in verse 1. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world, the Father having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's brother, to betray, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things, how many things? all things into his hands that he had come from God and was going back to God knowing all this he rose from supper laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel tied it around his waist he then poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him he came to Simon who said to him Lord do you wash my feet Jesus answered him, what I am doing, 
you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you should never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. But not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. In this passage, we see that Jesus welcomes us to the table just as we are. And yet, loving us just as we are, he loves us too much to leave us that way. That he is not satisfied until you fulfill your purpose of bearing the image of God. He is not satisfied with you sitting at the table. He wants you to look like Jesus. I am forever indebted to Jim Johnson for a sermon on this passage. Because he pointed out to me that this passage isn't so much about service, although that is a strong element, that the Lord of all creation would bend down to wash his disciples' feet. But that's what Peter knew what was happening. And Jesus said, you don't know what's happening. And so it's probably not the thing Peter thought was happening. Something more was going on. And that there's this process of we are clean because of what Jesus has done. We are welcome to the table because of what Jesus has done. And then there is this process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And this process is a washing that takes humility and it takes patience. It takes confession one to another, uncomfortable confession one to another, letting people see your dirty feet Believing that just because your feet are dirty doesn't mean you are. But there's a washing that takes place when we come to the table. Because God is at work in your life. And you signed up for this as a Christian, whether you know it or not. And he who began a good work in you is faithful to see it through to completion. And so he's going to do this. This process of shaping you into the likeness of his son. Because you see, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That's who he is. If you want to know what God looks like, look to Jesus. If you want to know how God loves, look to Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. And in Genesis says that you and I have been created in the image of God. This process, fancy word for it would probably be sanctification, is just a process of God restoring in us what was marred and lost in the fall. 
takes time. It takes patience. But praise God that he's not only so powerful to get us to the table, he is the one who is powerful enough to keep us at the table through that journey, through that process. This next song we're going to sing is is simply a reminder of that. That we come just as we are, but we don't leave the way we came. I hope that's true of you today, this morning. I hope that you can come in here today anxious, burdened, bothered, empty and that you can leave here hopeful that you can leave here with an excitement for what God is doing in your life that you can leave here full I also hope that you know this is a place where you don't have to put on a mask and pretend like it is those things You don't have to be uh, sinless to belong to this church. You don't have to be put together to belong to the body of Christ. You come broken to be mended. You come empty to be filled. You come guilty to be pardoned. This is why we come here but it would also be just as inappropriate for you to stay there. Any doctor worth his salt would invite the sick to come, but if they never got better, he wasn't a very good physician. But we serve a great physician. And we come just as we are, but we leave differently. So we've seen that when we come to the table, We are welcomed at the table. We are washed at the table. And the third thing I want to talk about with you this morning is that we are united at the table. When we come to the table, we eat from one loaf and we drink from one cup. There's importance in that imagery that we are united as one body. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. This is really, really, really important. That we have the spirit of unity. So how does that happen? I mean, I know the disciples had it all together. We don't have any examples in all of Scripture about what divisiveness looks like among the followers of Christ. Well, if that's what you think, turn with me to Luke chapter 6. It is easy to think that it would have been so much easier to have Jesus walking around with us. But even Jesus said it's better that we have the Spirit. And so, um, it's also easy to, to glorify what it would have been like 
to be a part of the early church or to be a follower of Christ. I was talking to Pastor Troy this morning. People are people. And it doesn't matter what decade, what century, what millennia, people are people. And what I want to point out in Luke chapter 6 is starting in verse 12, I want to talk about who the disciples were. And uh, in these days, he went to the mountain to pray. And Jesus prayed all night. He continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and he chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. This is a ragtag bunch of folks. And it's really easy to read over this list and just remember how many names you didn't know before you read through that list. But there's so much more to unpack in who these disciples are. You have James and John, who were mama's boys, that kept wanting to know who's going to be the greatest. They would send their mom to go talk to Jesus and have her ask, could we sit on your right and on your left when you come into your kingdom? Prideful, arrogant, presumptuous. I prefer mama's boy. But call him whatever you want. They, they, they have misguided priorities. You have Matthew, who was a tax collector. There is a reason why every time Jesus got in trouble with who he was eating with, it was with tax collectors and sinners. Those were synonyms. That was like salt and pepper, tax collectors and sinners. They just go together. Peas in a pod. And the reason for that was because the tax collectors were the Roman puppets. They taxed the Jewish people on behalf of the Roman government. And they honestly were probably pretty comfortable doing that. They had a nice paycheck. Uh, some of them even taxed more than they were supposed to. We see that in the story of Zacchaeus. They took advantage of those that were being oppressed by the Roman government. They were comfortable with the political status quo because they had the seat of power. They were okay with how things were. That's Levi. That's Matthew. He wrote a whole gospel for us. He's one of the twelve. One of the other twelve is Simon the Zealot. Zealots were not like tax collectors. If there were a gradient scale, tax collectors would be way over here and zealots would be way over here. Zealots were the ones that were looking for a militaristic messiah that would come and overthrow the Roman Empire. They were the ones that wanted to make Israel great again. That was their mantra, and we'll do it by force if we have to. They were looking for a Messiah who would come with military power. Do you see how these two individuals might not get along? 
Maybe it's starting to sound more and more like your Thanksgiving dinner after all. Jesus took a tax collector, prideful brothers, a zealot, and eight other guys, and he was able to lead them in a process where they cared about nothing more than the kingdom of God. That because of these 12 people, the gospel spread. That didn't happen overnight, and it didn't happen on accident. It took time for this to happen. And the way that it happened was by Jesus' constant reminder. I just can hear him. You know how mom, there's a mom tone of voice where she just says something that you're supposed to know? And you know, Aaron, I never heard that. But maybe you know, maybe you've heard it. I just hear Jesus constantly, constantly, constantly reminding them, hey, seek first the kingdom. Hey, hey, seek first the kingdom of God. Don't worry about this. Don't get your hopes caught up in that. Who is president matters much less than whether or not you are pursuing the kingdom of God. Your hope it will not be found in a new political system. Your hope will not be found in a new political candidate. Seek first the kingdom of God. Whenever we were singing that song, we talked about our eyes transfixed on Jesus' face. And I couldn't help but think, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. That's what happens. When you focus on Jesus, when you seek first the kingdom of God, the things of this world grow strangely dim. They lack the luster that they once had. The money, the political power, always being right, it all seems to dim in the light of His glory and grace. So you and I probably do not agree on everything. But we must agree on one thing. That the kingdom is of utmost importance. It's in that pursuit that we are unified. That we are united as one body. Jesus took these elements of Passover. Passover was a festival that reminded Israel of its inception, who they were, that they were God's chosen people. Passover was like their 4th of July. It was immensely important to them. And Jesus says, these are now signs of a new covenant, of a new people, the people of God. I'd like to close with some 
just final thoughts with you this morning. We've seen that Jesus welcomes us, washes us, and unites us. And I said in the beginning that if we would do these things for those around us, that we would be able to have more meaningful connection. You see, we find meaningful connection when we have meaningful interaction. And meaningful interaction doesn't happen over Facebook. I got an amen over here. (laughs) Meaningful interaction doesn't even happen over text messaging or phone calls. Meaningful interaction happens around a table. And so as we talk about this morning, we see that Jesus welcomes us with an open invitation. So we need to have an open invitation to our table. Jesus got in trouble all the time because of the people he ate with. (laughs) When was the last time you got in trouble because of someone you're eating with? When was the last time that you were mistaken for a glutton or a drunkard? You want to be like Jesus? He got in trouble because of who he ate with because he had an open invitation. We need to have that same open invitation in our lives. Jesus also washes us at the table, and as he's washing his disciples' feet, he tells us to do likewise. So as brothers and sisters in Christ who come to this family table, we need to be willing to walk with one another humbly and patiently through the process of sanctification and confession. And he unites us. You can't have meaningful interaction with people you're avoiding. There has to be a willingness to sit down and talk through difficult and uncomfortable things, even if all you can say is, I'm uncomfortable. We need to put first things first, and we need to put the kingdom above all else. The Word of God says that if you Don't love a brother whom you can see. How can you love a God you cannot see? As brothers and sisters in Christ, the way we treat one another, not just in one congregation, but in the body of Christ, how we treat one another matters. Jesus prayed for us in John 17. He asks, not only for his disciples that were there, but also for those who will believe in Jesus through their word. And this is what he says, that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also might be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. We bring endless glory to his name when people see a miraculous work of unity in the body of Christ part of what we need to do but today to close I'm going to challenge you on the first point I'm going to challenge you to be open and welcoming this week I want you to invite someone to your table that you are different from whether that's someone with a different political view a different religious or theological view whether that's someone of a different gender, someone of a different race or ethnicity, someone of a different social class, I want you to welcome 
someone to your table. And I want you to sit down, whether it's a dinner table, a coffee table, and I want you to invite them to share their story with you. I want you to ask more questions and make less statements. And I want you to listen more than you talk. And in this process, I believe God can do a work where we begin to know one another at a deeper level. Where we begin to hear people's stories. And we don't have to agree, but we will at least know their hearts a little better. It is really easy to vilify an idea until you know a person that represents that idea. Until you know that person's story. I'm not saying that we need to be all-inclusive and say everything is okay. But I do need to say we need to make people less uncomfortable to be around us. That's the challenge this morning. That you would be welcoming and open just like Jesus was. That you would get in trouble because of who you're eating with at least once a month. And so this week, we have come to this table and we have been reminded about the work that Jesus has done for us, in us, and now we allow him to do it through us. Thank you so much for coming. You're dismissed.